Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Hollywood Growler. Hollywood Growler podcast brings you everything you need to know from the world of craft beer in Southern California and beyond. I am Connor Simpson, and my partner is your host, Dan Kern. This is episode three, and we are recording live today at the Honeypot Meadery in Anaheim, California. Honeypot Meadery is owned and operated by Alex Gonzalez. We will be sitting down to ask Alex to tell us about the Honeypot Meadery and everything you have ever wanted to know about mead in just a few minutes. Then we are going to sample some of this tasty mead that he brews here so that we can tell you all about it and get you on over to Anaheim to visit his very interesting tap room and sample his mead for yourselves. Each episode, we like to bring you some news and notes from the world of beer and brewing. We call it the Hollywood Growler Headline. Here's Dan with this week's story. Thank you, Connor. Megan and Steve Long out of Houston, Texas, have launched a line of non-alcoholic beer for dogs called Good Boy Dog Beer. Though they are not the first to make beer for dogs, they've been very successful in Houston and have their beers available in more than a dozen bars across the city with plans to ship cans across the country. Good Boy has three different flavors, IPA, Lot in the Yard. Did you get that, Connor? I, I, I think I, I pee a lot in the yard, but you know. It's, it's really your dog's supposed to pee a lot in the yard. Okay, we won't talk about it. All right. So. <laughs> their other flavors are Mailman Malt Liquor and Session dot 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 Squirrel. Squirrel. The dog beers have no sodium. They're enjoyed by the owner's own pets and have a suggested retail price of $5 per can. Look for good boy dog beer coming to a store or brewery near you. That is this episode's Hollywood Growler headline. Connor? Only episode three, and we have already gone to the dogs. Did did you write that joke, Dan? I did. I wrote that, that joke. That's a good one. Yeah, thank you. I kept it in just for you. Thank you. All right. For updates on this story <laughs> and all of our Hollywood Growler headlines, you can follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Growler. That's Hollywood, G-R-O-W-L-R, hashtag Hollywood Growler on Instagram and all of your other favorite social media platforms. Connor and I are here at the Honeypot Meadery with owner Alex Gonzalez. Thank you for sitting down with us today, Alex, and hosting us at your tap room. Glad to be here with you guys. We'll be tasting some of the fresh and wonderful meads that you produce here in just a moment. But first, we want to know all about your, you and mead and your meadery. Uh, first off, I don't know what mead is. Connor doesn't know what mead is. You're going to have to tell the, tell the listeners at home, just like we're all blank slates, uh, exactly what is mead. Mead at its core is a wine that has its uh, primary sugar uh, that's fermented and turned into alcohol uh, coming from honey. Um, really anything that doesn't use malt or grain as its sugar uh, and doesn't get distilled as a wine. So technically apple cider is a wine and uh, you can make wine out of uh, blackberries, blueberries, cherries. You can make wine out of carrots, which we've done before. Wow. Uh, you can make wine out of tomatoes. So anything that's not grain and is not distilled is technically wine. Okay, so is honey the main ingredient for any mead or? To be considered a mead, it has to be at least 51% sugar uh, that's fermentable from honey. Okay. Um, but we do make more than just mead here. So uh, that is our um, primary focus, but at any given time, we might have four or five different ciders on or fruit wines also. So when you say 51% uh, of the sugar coming from honey, what are some of the other places that the sugar comes from? It could come from fruit juice, um, it could come from uh, you know, something like maybe maple syrup, um, molasses. Um, it could come from whole fruit. 
there's uh, a few different options for where uh, alternate shear could come from. When um when we talk about mead as a wine, I think people most of the time think about wine as as a, based upon grapes. Uh, they just sort of assume that. But uh, you're saying that you know even in biblical times, people were making wines, quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, that weren't grape based. Yeah, actually, uh, it's widely believed that mead is the oldest fermentable uh, or oldest fermented alcohol in the world. So you're um, saying mead came became before beer? Oh, much before beer. I um, don't believe you. It tracks back uh, to about 9,000 BC in China, in where China's where you can before. actually find uh, remnants in jars of honey and water that had yeast or some other um, bacteria that could have turned into alcohol that should have never been there oh. uh, if it wasn't intentional. Mm -hmm. um, and then meat has a really story history in that it kind of pops up uh, at different points in time. It's never consistent. So uh, you have records of 9,000 BC and really you don't see other instances of it popping up, whether it's in literature or uh, spoken word, poems, uh, song, until somewhere around, I think maybe 1300 BC. Um, then it kind of disappears again until like 400 AD and then it comes back again in 700. So there's these weird like peaks and valleys of when um, mead is talked about uh, and when it's experienced by people. And I think right now we're at one of those high points again where it's starting to come back. Okay. And uh, so in these pockets of time that uh, people, um, they were looking, uh, they found discoveries of like traces of meat or like alcohol, or whatever. Um, so there's no like real consistency you're saying, like there was like a time period and there's like a block. And then is that just cause we haven't figured out where to look or do you think they, these civilizations were just always hammered no matter what? Let's see, that's a good question. Um, it, it could be a little bit of both, um, but that's one of the things that we kind of struggle with when uh, within the industry, kind of explaining the storied history of you know the, one of the drinks we make um, is wh why does that happen? And as a group, we're still trying to figure that out. Okay. Yeah. So when we when we make beer, we know that we put our malt extract and uh, and our hops in a pot, and we boil it up, and we make wort, mm -hmm. and then we do some finishing hops, probably, and then we rack all of that over to a fermenter mm -hmm. and dry hop or whatever else we're going to do to it. And then we keg it or bottle it. Um, generally speaking, that's going to be the, the procedure for almost all beer. What's the sort of general procedure for making mead? The only difference with our process and the process of making beer is that we don't really have a hot side. Now with beer, the hot side is used to extract or render out the sugar from the grain, right? To create that wort. Well, honey is soluble in water. So all we have to do is really make that water and honey solution uh, and we're past the stage of even doing your boil so that will go directly into a conical and get fermented out interesting um now we do a lot of fruit additions in the primary where that gives the yeast something to eat um doing fruit additions either between the primary secondary and tertiary fermentation all give different flavors so depending on what we're going for we'll put fruit into different stages um, but besides that, we use all the exact same equipment. We use the uh, same types of tanks. We have SS tanks here, um, the same pumps, same hoses. Um, you know, we use our neighbor's hop back to do um, 
like spice additions, coffee, cinnamon, things like that. Um, we bottle things, we can things. It's all pretty much the same, just no no hot side. Okay, so you never would have to, to boil really any part of the meat. Uh, when you do the fruit additions, mm -hmm. what do you do to get the, do you just juice it or do you grind it up? What do you do? It could be either of those. Um, first, it depends if we're using uh, fresh or frozen. Some fruit we can't get fresh, so we have to use frozen. Um, but a lot of times we'll just throw fruit in whole if we can. You get better flavor extraction. Um, so if it's a, a citrus, citrus is a little tougher to, to just throw in whole. So that will usually juice. Today would be a perfect example of that where uh, for our OJ data, which is a pineapple cider with uh, citrus juice, whatever's in season we get, today we juiced about 120 pounds of, of tangelos to, to put into a batch. To prove that OJ did it. Well, you know, to deny that is to deny the truth. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a that's an extraordinary extraordinary amount of fruit. Um, we actually, when we met you, um, there was actually one of your customers came up and he had a bag of fruit to give you. Um, that was that was something that was pretty interesting that we found. So you collectively from the community, people donate fruit for your meat. They do. Uh, one of the things we try to do every week is uh, to have a special one-off cake. Some either variant on something you make or even something new depending on how much available product we have. And a lot of the times that comes from um, fruit donations, I guess you would call them. Um, <laughs> the last time I saw you guys, somebody brought a bag of about 30 pounds of lemons from their tree in their backyard. Um, next week, that'll actually go into a batch of our strawberry lemonade mead. So it's an orange blossom honey base with strawberries and lemon juice and lemon peel. So those lemons that he dropped off will end up going into a batch. Um, we've had different types of oranges delivered, uh, kumquats, apples, plums, all uh, got quince, uh, all kinds of stuff brought over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The last time I heard the word quince, I think I was Rosie Perez on... Um, White men can't jump. <laughs> so what is, what is a quince, if you can remind us? It's a very interesting fruit. Um, when we got them, we got five, which is not a lot, but the flavor, flavor is very potent. Um, it, was, it looks kind of like an apple. It's a yellowish green color. And it was very fuzzy, which I was not expecting. Um, the taste was like nothing I had ever had before. It was very perfumey. Um, and to be honest, we ended up not using it because I didn't know what we had that would pair well with it. So you need to think about it a little bit. Yeah. And we also had, uh, one of our friends down in San Diego at uh, Twisted Horn, they did both a meat and a cider with the quince. Uh, and I got to try those after, which gave me a little bit of inspiration. Um, but I still didn't, I, I wasn't ready to pull the trigger on using those just yet. Uh, your one of your team members here just handed you a, a sample of something. Uh, it's uh, he, he's asking for a thumbs up or a thumbs down. All oh, right, very good. More, more sugar. More sugar. <laughs> more sugar. That, that's uh, um, it's from is that, was, that, was that Eddie? <laughs> yeah. So Eddie is our uh, our cellarman. He is uh, doing some blending right now, trying to see if uh, these two tanks that we have, um, if the ratio that I prefer <laughs> is uh, what's currently in one of the tanks. Um, trying to get one of our ciders ready for uh, for this weekend, so I think it needs a little bit more uh, more apple flavor than it has right now. It's a little thin. 
So this weekend you're doing a class that's already sold out. Uh, can you tell, tell the listeners at home uh, what that's about? Of course. Um, one of the things I try to do whenever I can is find ways to give back or grow the Mead community. Um, Orange County has been great in terms of having new people come in and want to learn. Um, and there's quite a few homebrew groups that um, I noticed that a number of the members make meet at home. So uh, I thought what better way to get some people to come in and show them more about what we do um, than to offer a mead making class. Very basic. Um, in the class, you get everything you need, uh, just as if you went into a homebrew store with a, with a checklist. Um, from the fermenter, uh, you know, one gallon carboy to um, the yeast, a nutrient schedule, a log, um, everything you need to, to keep accurate records of it um, and allow people to kind of go home and experiment. Um, we have a number of customers that come in that ask us to do different blends off the tap line of different things, um, which shows not only they are, or were they adventurous enough to come in to try what we make, but... Um, they want to take that one step further and try to make their own things. You um, actually um, did a little something like that for us uh, to open today, even before we got to any tastings. Uh, we had a, a nice a nice little beverage in front of us. Can you tell us about what that was? Yes, yeah, so that's a, uh, we, we've come to call it sticks and stones. Um, <laughs> it's a combination of our cherry apple cider with our orange blossom cinnamon meat. Uh, so cinnamon sticks, cherries, you know, stone fruit. Um, that was something that one of our customers came up with a couple weeks ago. Um, more often than we were expecting, we'll have people ask us just for an empty glass. So when they get a flight or two or sometimes three, um, they'll do their own little blends sitting here. And quite often, if there's something that tastes good, they'll ask us to try it or something. That's, yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and this is something I wanted to emphasize because I don't think people realize it. Uh, you, we kind of met you accidentally. Uh, we were doing uh, the episode with Ryan next door at All American Brewery, uh, Brewworks, sorry. And uh, he started talking about you and talking about what you were doing here next door. And we were interested. And then you appeared. But not only did you appear, but you appeared with uh, a couple of samples. And I have to say that, you know, again, not knowing anything at all about mead, we were so impressed. It was almost like, uh, like a raw juice you know that had alcohol in it. and we were so impressed with that uh we did we had no idea that um that's what mead was really all about um it was totally different than what we had expected and different than my experience certainly yeah. the only time i can remember having mead it was basically syrup um and i think that turns people off a little bit but if you like raw juices if you like going to say mother's market and getting a raw juice in the morning if those are the flavors that you're interested in, you really have to come down to the meadery. It tastes completely different than beer. Um, it is a big fruit forward, almost like drinking a raw juice in the morning kind of flavor for some of these, especially the, um, you said uh, OJ did it? Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's Tangelo's. It is like fresh squeezed orange juice with, you, you almost don't even taste the alcohol underneath it. It's delicious. Yeah, it was fantastic. And delicious. so I, I, I feel like I'm gushing a little bit, but there's a reason it's because you really, your expectations are probably wrong and you should come out and you should try it. Well, for me personally, when we were tasting that, it was kind of whenever, the first time I ever had a double IPA, like I wasn't really a beer alcohol drinker mm -hmm. ever. And then I had a double IPA and it 
blew my mind. I was like, beer can be this? Wow. And that's kind of the same reaction I had when trying a mead last Friday. It kind of just blew my socks off. I had no idea that you can make a product like that. So, and, I mean, and, and to be fair, that's that's just the style that we make here. Yeah. Um, just like breweries, everybody kind of has their own um, flavor profile that they usually cater towards. And for us, the majority of the stuff we make is going to be less than 10%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most of the time it's going to be carbonated and it's going to be easy to drink. Um, that's not to say that we don't also make syrupy, you know, big fruit bombs. Um, but the, um, those, those aren't our bread and butter. Like we do have a barrel age program that we started three weeks ago uh, that we, we have three barrels filled now. Um, we do have a blueberry mead that's right now sitting at 17% that's in a tank. Yes. We have a raspberry that's sitting at 14 and a half that's going into a rye barrel next week. Ooh, nice. So, um, we do have a lot of stuff that's easy to drink. There will definitely be a couple things in the next few months that are on the higher side. Um, that might be more of what uh, your experiences was before. Um, that being said, San Diego, there's a lot of uh, meteries that do things that are different than me. They're still all really good. Uh, it's just a different style. Um, so I like to think of us as, you know, especially if people ask, you know, I can kind of explain to them, this is what I like to drink. You know, it's, it's called meat because it's a honey base, but a lot of the times people will try something like um, the double dry hops, hazy mead we're making next month for beer week. Ooh. It's going to taste like a double IPA because I'm adding... Uh, peaches and apricots too. Well, that's something I was going to ask you about, and Ryan had mentioned that also. So you, there's nothing preventing anybody from hopping mead, right? Not at all. So even though um, you're dry hopping the mead, uh, you're getting the bitterness, even though you didn't do a boil and boil the hops in. If you dry hop it afterwards, at um, you know while you're fermenting or after, I guess after fermenting, mm. you can still get the the bittering uh, effect from the hops, right? Not really. Okay, um, so tell me how I'm wrong. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not afraid to be wrong. Tell me what's up. So with uh, the hops, you're boiling it out because you're trying to render out the alpha acid. Um, if you're only boiling it in water, that acid has nothing to really stick to. Okay. It ends up essentially falling out of suspension. Um, and really to get a true hop flavor, you can dry hop, you know, for a certain amount of time, you'll get some hop out of it. You really do have to do a boil. So okay, that's going to so be the first wanna... time we will do a boil for something. All right. That's what I wanted to ask. Uh, but we are, we're going to use equipment next door and we'll do our boil next door. Um, essentially what we're trying to do is we're going to, for beer week, we're each going to make our own version of which should taste close to the same thing. Just one of us will be gluten-free and one won't. Um, we're doing a braggot, which I'm making a peach mead that we're gonna blend into a double IPA next door. His entire uh, formula schedule uh, from the boil time with the strike to the hops we're using to the dry hop period will all be exactly the same between our two recipes. He's just gonna have sugar in the boil from the grain, from his mash versus I'm gonna add some honey into the boil to allow those alpha acids from the hops to have something to attach to. Because if you don't have any sugar in that water, you're not gonna get that flavor to carry through. Essentially, it'll just taste like grassy water, um, which is a little odd. Because <laughs> we will end up using that base 
adding honey back to it once it's down below 100 degrees so I don't lose any aromatics from the honey. Uh, add apricots and peaches, uh, both fresh into the tank, and now I'm going to ferment that out. Okay, so you're really not hopping the mead in this particular instance. You're mostly hopping the beer and then blending the two at a later stage. Is that what I'm hearing? No, there's two different ones. Oh, so okay. one, so we're going to hop a methods. beer that we blend a mead into. All right. And the other, we're going to uh, do a boil, make a mead with that water that we did the boil with, okay. and then dry hop on the back end also. So you're going to boil in the... Boil in the hops first, basically. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. So okay, small amount of honey, boil the hops, then use that water to blend into our normal uh, amount of honey to uh, then make a, a mead with. All right. So I wasn't getting it before, but now I think I have a much better idea. I hope, uh, I hope the listeners in at home uh, kept up with that as well. Take um, notes. So how often do uh, your customers just bring you a bag of fruit like that? Because that was really yeah. interesting. Yeah, back I to would, the fruit. I did <laughs> want to circle back to that. It's, uh, it's probably a couple times a month. Uh, and usually it's not a lot. And that's where our you know weekend six stall, whatever special is, usually comes from. Is there is, especially with citrus, there's usually just enough juice to blend into maybe like our traditional orange blossom um, or maybe something that's already spiced. Uh, and that's it. I mean, um, that's basically coming from their yard, though, right? It, it really is. That's fantastic. You're talking about, like, like you know, farm to table, like, eating? That's, like, farm to glass. That's, that's, that's crazy. Cool. Yeah, well, yeah we, uh, have, uh, we have friends, you know, in Yorba or wherever, just up the hill. Mm -hmm. You think you need, like, a whole orchard to get a lot of fruit. But if you have one fruit tree that's really flowering, like lemons or oranges or mm -hmm. something, nobody can eat that many. Like, they're always giving away to friends, but that's great that they're coming down here and giving it to you, and you're actually able to do something with it. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we actually, we get some people to come in, too, that, that bring us, and it's usually citrus. They're like, my neighbor has this tree hanging over my yard, and I'm tired of the fruit all over the right. floor. So they just like, I want my pig to clean it for you. Thank you, I appreciate it. So, so. so uh, a question about the fruit. So when I was at uh, Hangar 24, um, they have their orange wheat, their, mm -hmm. their staple, and people would comment at different points of the year that it tastes different. And that's because there was a particular orange that ripened in the beginning of the year. And then there was a different orange that ripened at the end of the year mm -hmm. that they would switch out the type of oranges that they're using for their batches. Mm -hmm. So do you, are you picky about what type of orange is going into your batch or are you just trying you just, Right now, you're just trying to get that citrus burst in the flavor. It's um, it's a little bit of both. Um, one of the things that we're allowed to do as a winery is, you know, basically establish vintage type, you know, type thing. So if we bottle something two or three times a year, depending on, you know, it could be the exact same honey. Say it's something just go bare bones. It's just water, honey, yeast, traditional mead. Um, our orange blossom honey is always from California, but it can vary from where in California. The majority of the time it's gonna be in the San Joaquin Valley. Sometimes it ends up coming from Yosemite instead. Those oranges will taste different. Um, just like the, like year to year, those or that, that orange blossom honey is gonna taste different. Uh, for something to be called orange blossom honey, they only have to know that over anything over 50% of that crop coming from orange blossoms, they can call orange blossom honey. It could be 30% from mint, because there was a mint farm next to that uh, that orchard. It could be just wildflowers from ambient growth in the orchard. It could be anything, but it has to be a specific amount of 
one flower that they can prefer to be called a varietal. So, um, assume we're stupid again, because mm-hmm. we are. Um, what uh, What is the type of plants uh, being around where the, the honey is harvested have to do with the flavor of the honey and have to do with uh, why it's a varietal? It's a great question. Um, should actually get some samples up for you so you can see what I mean. <laughs> with orange blossom honey, the preponderance of the pollen collected that was converted into honey came from the orange blossom flowers on the, the orange trees. Um, in California, we're lucky to have the agriculture that we do and the amount of, um, of flora that's around us. So there's at least, if not more than 12 varietal specific honeys in California that you can usually easily discern by either tasting or smelling them. Um, orange, I prefer to use just because it's very well-rounded. It has a great nose on it. It has enough body to support itself if it was just water and honey. Um, it provides for a fairly decent mouthfeel based on its viscosity. Um, personally, I don't think there are many honeys that can do that um, and, and have its own character because you're having that citrus quality to it. Um, yeah. A lot of the times when you go to Costco or to Whole Foods and you get honey, you're either getting clover or wildflower, which that's kind of like your generic honey flavor. Um, but once you start to dabble in more varietal specifics, whether it's orange or um, right now we have a rye barrel filled with a meadow foam honey that tastes like a marshmallows. Uh, and all it is is the flowers that were used to create the honey. Um, they have this amazing amount of vanilla in it um, that you know, you really wouldn't expect. Uh, and you, you'd think if you tried it and nobody told you what it was, that, that you wouldn't call it honey. Say the say the name of the, the varietal again? Meadow foam. Meadow. Meadow foam. Okay. Meadow. Yeah. And that's a, fl- that's a type of flower? It, it sounds, is. That they sounds sell, a little white flower. That sounds a little dirty. Here. Meadow foam. I'll actually let you guys try some. Oh, it smells see. amazing. Yeah. So this is only uh, grown in Oregon. Okay. It's a very small crop and it's a very expensive crop. Um, but I think once you guys taste it, you'll see exactly why that is. So we're literally scooping honey out of a jar right now. Yeah, that's true. We don't have this on video. Yeah. But yeah, we are, we are putting a fork into a honey jar and we're going to taste what meadow foam honey uh, tastes like. Wow. It's weird because it's not overpowering either. Oh, the marshmallows, the big nose on the mm-hmm. front is very marshmallowy. That's mm-hmm. a great description. Yeah. That's fantastic. It just melts in your mouth. Um, I was also going to say... And there's your flavor reel. That uh, one of the other things that orange blossom um, honey seems like it would be uh, more conducive for is because you're dumping fruit into your into your mead. The orange blossom probably it doesn't clash, I guess. With, um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, especially when we're using berries, which we have a lot of fresh berries in California. Mm-hmm. Um, citrus is a, is a natural pairing uh, for, so for berries. Let me ask you this. Um, if you were so inclined, this might be crazy, and you had a lot of mint honey for some reason, mm-hmm. could you make a mint mead? Of course. Yeah. And you could take a bunch of mint leaves. I mean, it would have to be a lot, I imagine, uh, like bushels of the stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you could take mint leaves and make a mint mead. You absolutely could. Um, and there's multiple ways to do that, usually with something like a spice, uh, which is considered meant to be a spice. Okay. Um, you'd probably make a tea 
with the mint, and then you'd use a tea rather than floating the whole the whole leaves. Oh, that makes sense. Um, they also tend to jam up uh, tasting valves if they're floating. Oh, right. Personal experience, not a good idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, does, it has happened a couple times. But people are crazy about mint. I yeah. mean, that's something that, have you done that before? We've done a strawberry mint uh, okay. with orange blossom. Okay. Uh, we did that maybe three months ago. Uh, it lasted about two weeks. Um, we had one of those kegs went to uh, Tree Branch in Huntington. Um, and the, as far as I know, they're still waiting for us to get more so we can send them some. <laughs> so, you're, so you're selling out. Yeah, that's good. Tell us um, tell us about the size of your batches, uh, how many fermenters you have working. You said a you know, keg lasted about two weeks. Is that fast? Is that slow? Tell us all about it. Right now, uh, everything is still relatively small batch. And I say relatively because uh, our primary fermenters are two five-barrel tanks. And then we have four one barrels that we use basically as our pilot and blending tanks. Uh, so if we're gonna fruit something or spice something on the back end, so on the secondary, we'll end up making a large batch of orange blossom or meadow foam, tupelo, basswood, whatever you know the honey is we're using for our base. And then we'll pull a gallon out, we'll let it sit on the spice, and we'll treat the small tank as as its own batch. So this flavor wheel that you that you're showing us, yeah, this is Alex. Alex, this, I was just looking at that. He, he we'll definitely have a picture for you um, um, on the on the social media. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I have a quick question. So I, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I, I gotta ask this. I've been looking at it for the last five minutes. Um, there's there's a bar here that says animal with flavors <laughs> under. Uh, let me just name off a few: uh, dog, cat, pee, locker room, and sweaty. Um, Please enlighten us on uh, that little sliver of flavors that we have going on on the wheel here. Well, you can't just leave it there. I mean, you have the leather, you have the barnyard, which both of those can be used to describe beers. Um, you know, barnyard is probably going to be something that has Brett in it. Um, leather and tobacco are both qualities that you get out of um, some darker beers. And some wines occasionally too. That's true. Yeah. Um, cat pee is so a gross. quality <laughs> that you usually get out of um, something like um, passion fruit. So passion, passion fruit will have this quality. And, and don't ask why people know that, right? If you've had a cat at home and they've had an accident in the corner and you came home to it, You'd know that smell. You would not forget. Yeah, um, no, I have two cats, yeah. but I don't think <laughs> I don't think grapefruit. Would, no, no, like cats passion fruit. fruit. Yeah, passion, passion fruit. Let's be specific. I don't think yes. of passion fruit. But more importantly, uh, sorry, sorry, not passion fruit. I apologize. Oh, it's guava. Guava has that. Guava. Fruit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're all yeah. wrong. It's guava. Yeah. So cat pee smells like guava. Everybody, you heard it from Alex Gonzalez here at uh, Honey Pot. <laughs> it's, it's a very common trait in um, in white wines. Uh, Pinot Gris will have that cat pee ish quality. I mean, it's not like punch you in the face, but if you sit there long enough and you're really trying to discern distinct flavors, that's something that people can actually relate to. So you're saying nobody can become a sommelier without being able to discern the, the cat pee flavor, the cat pee note. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not going to go that far. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're just shocked with the... the no, 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 the but in all seriousness, <laughs> when you see this flavor wheel, we're, we're kind of harping on one section. Yeah. But what's really... Um, striking is the uh the honey flavor wheel has at least a dozen different big wedges um berry citrus dried fruit tree fruit tropical fruit floral herbaceous woody nutty spicy caramel earthy um there are literally 
50 different slices on the edge of this wheel going around, probably a little bit more than that. Um, and I never would have, uh, I never would have known that there were that many styles of honey and it never would have even occurred to me to ask. This all has to do with the different plants that the bees basically live around. Is that, is that what I'm seeing? And, Correct. and sometimes Correct. the different animals that the bees are living around? It could be. And uh, a lot of people don't really see a difference between something like a honey versus also a honeydew, which a honeydew um, would also then a lot of the times give you those like piney and resiny notes. Um, in the back, we actually have a sample of a, um, they called it a pine honey, which pine trees don't have flowers. So that's not really a thing. Um, but what the bees would end up doing is they'd harvest the sap on the outside of the trees and use that and convert that into, uh, into honey. And so it has this really, for lack of a better term, like dank quality to it. That- Bar 20's um, around the corner. But... One, and the only thing is by itself, it's really hard to use. It's like just boiling hops and drinking it. Like that's not good. No. Um, but to use it as a nuance, um, as an addition, or maybe you're doing something like 60% um, wildflower and 40% of the, the pine honeydew, it's uh, something that can actually come out really nice. So um, that would be potentially a really good way to, you know, pardon the vernacular, that'd be a good way to cheat. You could get that boiled in hops taste from the pine honey if you were, were going for that kind of flavor profile if you wanted to. You absolutely could. Okay. Well, I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've done a little bit of home brewing myself. I'm no expert. Um, but, uh, you know, basically I, I usually just pick the type of hops and the type of yeasts. Mm that the book tells me to use. When it comes to honey, however, I feel like, um, kind of like your customers, I could mix and match all day and probably come up with some interesting stuff. I don't know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't taste very good. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just dreaming, but it seems like it would be a lot of fun. It is, it is a lot of fun. And as part of the me making class we're doing on Sunday morning, um, which I haven't really told anybody about yet, we're actually gonna do a honey panel to start the day. Okay. Uh, and we're going to have eight samples out of different honeys for everybody to try. And that's why I have the flavor wheels out. Uh, so, you know, I'm getting ready for the class this weekend. Uh, and it gives people, um, it kind of gets their imagination going, right? Totally. Some start thinking of what flavor profile they want to build. Uh, and if you want to compare this to something in, in beer, you know, the analogy of, of hops where hops each have their own really specific quality. I mean, there's certain times you're not going to use a hop with a specific grain bill, you're probably not gonna make a stout with citron, right? That's just yeah. not gonna work. Yeah. Uh, well, not to say it's not gonna work. It's not done normally. Yeah. That's probably not on your brew schedule, but um, <laughs> it's the same thing with this. You're, you're building flavor. So you, if you imagine this is your base where orange and orange zest and um, grapefruit and bergamot are all your base, then you kind of, uh, you know, if you're a chef, you're making something at home, you figure out what are these flavors in here? How can I keep building the profile yeah so. this is i mean it's almost got as many wedges as a color wheel in our class mm -hmm. i i'm yeah I, at first i kind of you know just sort of looked at it once but the the deeper you look into it the more you see um and the more possibilities sort of jump to mind i i don't know I, i'm very intrigued i'm very impressed i feel like a whole new door was uh was opened and one of the things i just mentioned was um to be something to be a specific varietal of honey you only need to be able to guarantee that over 50% of that honey came from a specific flower. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I'll pour you guys uh, our orange blossom. Our current orange blossom has a large undertone of menthol, which shouldn't happen in orange. Uh, so I asked our provider, and they're like, well, this is from a new farm that you know is in the eastern San Joaquin Valley. It's like, they do have a lot of herbs out there, so it's possible. Um, but I'll get you guys a sample of that. Yeah, yeah we And can. you'll see that it's like this mint undertone to the orange. Um, before we start sampling, uh, let me let us ask you just a couple more questions, um, and then we'll take a little break because I, I, you have somebody here that you need to speak to. Um, there are a lot of beer-related events in Southern California. What kind of events are you going to to promote mead, or are you just sort of uh, coattailing off of some of the beer events, or are you having your own mead events? What, what's the difference? It's a combination of both. Okay. Uh, we do have mead-specific events. Uh, the first one for this year is on uh, April 6th, down in Vista in San Diego. It's called Meeting at the Garden. <laughs> um, so there's uh, around 20 meteries that'll be there. Um, everybody in Southern California, which there's 11 producers right now, um, some from the Central Valley, uh, some from Arizona, I believe like Superstition's gonna be there. Uh, and then a couple breweries to you know add uh, some more depth to the, the lineup of what's gonna be served. Uh, but besides that, uh, a lot of the people that come into our tasting room are beer drinkers. Uh, I mean, I started as a beer drinker before. One of my buddies kind of ruined me with this crazy bottle of mead from Michigan um, eight years ago. So what, what was that mead that changed your life? That was made by uh, Coonan in, uh, in Ferndale, um, just north of, of Detroit. It was a bourbon barrel-aged banana French toast. Interesting. Um, and it was a bottle that, even when I got it, I didn't even know if it was legit because it had like this inkjet label on it that somebody <laughs> made like in their garage, it looked like. Um, but they had only made a little over 100 bottles of it and they were nip bottles. So 187, I mean, a six ounce bottle and um, blew me away. And I was you know, a member of the brewery's reserve society since it started and you know, I was so used to all these like big barrel aged beers that were getting released, um, whether up here in San Diego and going down for, you know, to wait in line at, you know, Lost Abbey or down in Alpine. Um, then I get this bottle in the mail and the nose, the mouthfeel, the you know, flavor, like it just, I didn't have, I've never had anything like that. So let me, uh, let me ask you one other question. Um, a lot of me, uh, if you don't like sweet, then maybe mead isn't necessarily for you. But this is that's why I wanted to ask this next question. Is there such thing as a dry mead? There is. Um, we will occasionally have dry on. The reason we don't have it on more often is that I typically <laughs> make things that I would want to reorder if I had it somewhere. And I'm not a big dry mead person. Um, there's definitely a style there. Um, there's a couple meteries in San Diego that do make dry. Um, most of the stuff here is going to be at lowest, like a off dry to like low end semi sweet. Okay, so um, if you were shooting for that, mm. what's the technique uh, to get this? Because it's all honey and fruit. That's you know sweetness is where we're going, right? right? So what's the technique? What ingredients are we using if we're talking about a dry meat? So. Almost all of our meads, with the exception of like our big desserts and anything that's going to go into a barrel, we're going to control uh, the alcohol content by virtue of the uh, fermentable sugar that's in the base must, so the unfermented mead. Um, we're going to let that go dry 
90% of the time. So all the sugar that's fermentable is going to get eaten out. It's going to go all the way down to, um, if you're doing standard gravity, you're 996, 997. Uh, we go down to zero bricks, uh, at which point we'll clarify it, stabilize it. And then depending on what else is going in there, if it's going to be a traditional, we may add a little bit of honey back to it. If it's going to be something that's spice, we'll um, real sugar to balance based on the spice. Some spices don't need it. Um, especially something like vanilla that adds this perceived sweetness. Mm -hmm. uh, but really it comes down to the drink we're making being balanced. And my personal palate thinks that dry needs something. So that's, that's probably a similar technique for, for beer to get it a little bit drier. You let the fermentable sugars just get eaten mm -hmm. as much as they can be eaten, right? Uh, I noticed uh, when we were sampling Russian River a few weeks ago, they had this really, even though it was sour and the taste was big, mm. underneath it was very dry. And, you know, I've heard of dry wine before. Mm. But I was like, how are they getting the beer so dry? But I think you just answered the question. The technique, even if you're doing it with mead or mm. beer or wine, is going to be to let the fermentable sugars um, get eaten just as much as they can by the yeast and then flavor from there. Is that, is that, am I getting that right? For for the most part, one thing I want to make sure that um, we don't get confused on is dry as it relates to residual sugar versus dry on the palate. Because that could just be a um, drying effect from tannin or something like that, where most berries are going to have some form of tannin in the skin. Um, anything that's going to be aged on oak should be pulling some tannin out of the wood, which um, wouldn't necessarily dry it out from the perspective of residual sugar, but it would have an effect on your tongue that may, might, may make you think differently. Okay, so yeah. if you were doing like beer or mead in an oak barrel, mm -hmm. you'd expect to have a drier, a drier taste. It's kind of the way that a Chardonnay that's been aged in an oak barrel mm -hmm. would be a little bit drier Chardonnay. And that's part of the reason why uh, the meadow foam that you guys tried that um, went into the barrel, uh, residual sugar was something like I don't know, 14 or 15 bricks, um, which, you know, there are beers that don't start at 15 bricks. So for people um, who don't know what that means, can you kind of explain the lingo there? It's, a, it's another unit of measuring fermentable sugar um, versus using standard gravity. Right. Um, bricks to gravity, uh, 15 bricks would be maybe 10, 50. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit feet to metric system kind of thing. It's a kind of, all right. um, <laughs> it's a little easier to convert bricks to potential alcohol content. Um, and as a winemaker, and actually what I've found talking to a lot of the brewers, um, a lot of them work in bricks also. Really? Because um, I hadn't, honestly, I hadn't heard that uh, in relation to beer until we were sitting here today. Yeah. I'd heard that in relation to wine before. Huh. So Alex is uh, getting another uh, sample from uh is, uh, from Eddie. From Eddie. Yeah, tell us about your team member Eddie real quick. Yeah. He seems like he's he's running around. <laughs> Apparently, when he did something right because he almost like fell over from the flavor. But so uh, so Eddie is our um, cellarman. Well, he's trained to be a cellarman, so um, he's already learned how to you know check our tanks, feed, basically do uh, basic maintenance on them day to day. Um, and right now, he is doing some experimenting with uh, with blending. Uh, more specifically, blending our pineapple cider with a couple different juices to see how they kind of come out. Oh, that sounds really good. That sounds uh, 
very tropical. Uh, so tell us exactly what a cellarman is before we uh, before we take a little break here. <laughs> um, facility to facility, cellarman can be, mean different things. Uh, for us here, a cellarman is going to be anybody that's able to um, do light work on the tanks. So every day you can do your basic um, health checks on them, checking gravity, temperature, pH, titration, um, feeding if need be, whether that be nutrients or oxygen, circulating, uh, and racking. Um, so he has been working on that for the better part of two months. Uh, and now he's getting more into the post-fermentation side, um, learning more about blending and balancing, whether that be with um, acid, with sugar, uh, with tannin, uh, with additional spices. Um, we, we do a lot of panels with just a base meat or a base cider, adding different things to see, to see how they work. And even something where we can tell that, you know, it might be a little bit flabby where it's, um, it's missing some acid going as far as not just doing like an acid blend treatment, but doing specific malic tartaric and citric and then blends of that across a panel of nine or 12 glasses. Um, it's a, it's a skill that comes in very handy, whether you're working at a winery or a brewery. So. Very awesome. Okay, uh, we're going to take a, a short break. You won't notice, except for I'm probably going to stick an ad here. Because um, we are here before opening here at the uh, the Honey Pot Meadery, and Alex has a little bit of work to do. And then we're going to come back. I hope we're going to taste a couple meads, and uh, Alex can walk us through some tasting notes, and then we'll wrap up. So thank you uh, for hanging out with us today uh, at the Honey Pot Meadery on this episode of the Hollywood Growler. See you in just a minute. And uh, welcome back to the Hollywood Growler. Uh, we were just talking about some meads that uh, Alex poured for us here. And we're stumbling back in here, but we're going to go over these meads real fast and uh, let Alex take the cake here. So what's the what's the first one we got going on here? Yeah, so I think I poured seven for you guys. Uh, the first one is it's the... It's going to be a lot. We're going to be drunk. Is <laughs> Maybe. It, it, it's been known to happen, uh, especially with some of the meads that I make. Um, really easy to drink, you stand up, and you sit back down. Um, <laughs> the Meterita is probably the lightest one I poured for you. I think it's sitting at 7%, 7.5%. You made it like a, you got the ring of chili around like a little michelada. Correct. So it's, uh, the base is orange blossom honey with fresh lime juice added post-fermentation. Mm. And we rim the glass with chamoy and tahini to get a little bit of chili on it. Takes them back to the Dominican Republic. Um, now, a lot of people in Southern California are going to know what tahini is. Huh? A lot of people beyond Southern California will have no idea what tahini is. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? <laughs> uh, tahini is a uh, chili salt. That's be the easiest way to describe it. Oh, that's uh, good. I'm having another soap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, take all of it. Thanks. <laughs> it's delicious, though. That's spectacular. It's uh, very, uh, imagine you're in paradise, but with light meat. And it really does have a. Um... Oh yeah, perfect. He's got a. He's, he's even got an umbrella for me. We're going all out in this episode. Yeah, check check the Instagram. There will definitely be a picture of the uh, meadarita with the sunny tropical umbrella sticking I'm, out of it. I'm gonna do this one as a selfie. I'm on vacation today. Seriously? Well, you, you, you got the shirt for you. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, it tasted. Very margarita mixy. That's got to be the lime. Um, it's just fresh squeezed lime juice added to our uh, 
traditional orange blossom mm. and actually the dry version of that before we sweeten it. It's that's very yummy. That is really good. Um, okay, want, so uh, normally you would back sweeten the honey blossom? Correct. The orange blossom, yeah. So what did I say? Honey blossom? Yes. I'm sorry. Orange and that's actually blossom. this one right here is the traditional orange blossom that's back sweetened. So okay, so that's going to be number two. So mm -hmm. This is when we were talking before about the difference between what a dry mead might taste like mm -hmm. and what uh, a sweetened mead might taste like after you've um, back sweetened it. Uh, this is exactly what we're talking about. So this is going to be number two uh, sampler, and this is going to be the orange blossom traditional mead. Traditional mead. So, so wa water, honey, and yeast. That's it. Okay, so water, orange blossom, honey, and yeast. Mm -hmm. So any citrus flavor that I'm getting is the orange blossom honey. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, there's no acid balance done, uh, done to that. Uh, no tannin added. Sometimes we'll add oak if it needs more body. It's just water and honey. This is carbonated also, right? Uh, petulant. Slightly carbonated. Mm. <laughs> Not completely still. I've been called petulant many times, but I didn't know what petulant carbonation <laughs> means. I think that's a little offended at first. Father? Sorry. It's pronounced, it's pronounced petulant. For some reason, I say petulant. It's pronounced petulant. <laughs> okay. Oh, my. And there's a real difference between the back sweetened and the dry here. And even, you know, with the lime added, you can taste that this is less sweet. Did you say this one is what the mint? Correct. Because I definitely get that yeah. undertone. And that's it. just from the honey. Oh, okay. You, you, you taste that? that little, I wanna, now yeah, I want to like look for it again because yeah. I'd forgotten we had talked about that. No, it, like I noticed it right away. That's that's incredible because it's not, it's not like spearmint, no. but it's... It's in there. It's it's nuanced, but there's been quite a few people in the taste room that picked it up. Huh. So. That's awesome. Honestly, if you hadn't said anything, I probably wouldn't know what it is. Mm. But I, it does I, have I like a, recognized it as soon as I... It does like a cooling quality on your A little bit like, fre like a freshness. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah. a zing almost. Mm -hmm. Like a menthol cigarette. <laughs> That's not that strong. <laughs> <laughs> this is an ad for cools all of a sudden in Newport. <laughs> No, this is, um... It's really refreshing. Yeah. Well, the first two really are. And it was, um, a big switch to go from tahini to this, obviously. <laughs> but, um, both of these work really well. And I think that, uh, if you came in and tasted these, uh, it's an experience. You know, especially if you like margarita, but you don't, uh, you're one of the, uh, one tequila, two tequila, three tequila, four type people. You don't want to get, uh, too messed up. This is a, a good margarita flavor without the without the tequila underneath it. <laughs> tequila, uh, it's not my friend. I I want. I feel like going outside now. Like these, that was really good. It Thank makes you, you appreciate the weather here in Southern California. I know. Well, it is the afternoon. It yes. is March Madness Friday as we're recording today, and um, so far as I know, nobody's bracket is horribly busted just yet. But you know, give it time. By Saturday, I'm sure it'll be. Sure, it'll be pretty ugly. Um, moving on here to another uh, Southern California-themed mead. This is the OJ <laughs> Did It, I believe. That's correct. Um, Never underestimate the value of a good pun. Um, and uh, that one actually isn't a mead. It is a oh, cider. This is a cider. I'm sorry. So it's a pineapple cider. Uh, this version of it is with tangelos, which is a cross between a tangerine and a pomelo grapefruit. Mm. 
Um, another version we had done was with tangerines and mandarin oranges. Um, the acid on that really comes through well though. Man, it's just like, this would be good for breakfast. Yeah, this is the one that you brought to us last week, right? Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. this the same batch? A uh, different, different batch. Different so batch. So we, we fresh press the juice every week. Okay. Yeah. So, so slightly that was just different made fruit. three hours ago. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that is young. Like I said, breakfast. So you actually have your fermented honey before you ever add the fruit, right? Not all the time. In this case, uh, it's a pineapple cider. We add the juice post-fermentation. Okay. Uh, so we make it a little stronger than we normally would. Uh, the pineapple cider is usually between 8 and 8.5%. Um, this one ends up being closer to like 9.5%, 10%. And then we um, basically blend it with fresh pressed juice to get it down to, this one's like 5, 5.5%. And, and you had said, <coughs> excuse me, you had said um, you had used a specific word for the base honey solution. Must. Must. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So when we when we boil beer mm -hmm. and we haven't fermented, have not fermented it yet, that's mm -hmm. called wort. Mm -hmm. Is must unfermented or is must fermented? It's unfermented wine. Okay. So the same thing would be like grape juice prior to fermentation after press would be considered must. Okay. Uh, apple juice. And if you're if you're going to ferment it, it'd be considered must prior to fermentation. All right. Yeah. See, there you go. That's. I mean, had you ever heard that terminology before? Uh, personally, no. Okay, so um, I'm guessing our listeners haven't either. You're learning all kinds of new stuff here on The Hollywood Growler. We are learners. If you want to try uh, a very first mead, if you're, if you're worried that it's going to be too syrupy, if it's going to be something that's a little bit um, different than what you've ever tasted before, if you can drink, like, nice, fresh-pressed orange juice... Well, that, that's the cider. It's not a mead. Oh, oh, well, yeah. Okay, so, excuse me. So... But my point being, if you need an introduction <laughs> and something that you're going to have a taste that you're familiar with, uh, this tastes like fresh juiced tangelo, tangerine. And um, you're going to like it. it. It would be almost, if you if you like an orange juice flavor, or gourmet orange juice in this particular instance, there is almost no way you're not going to like this. So come on in and give it a try. And I, I almost guarantee you're going to want to try something else after this. It's really, really what, good. What's the uh, vodka orange juice drink? What's that called? Like a screwdriver. Is this a screwdriver? Yeah. yeah but this, okay. does, honestly, uh, some people don't like hard liquor and think, you well, know, vodka yeah. is like too much with their orange juice. Mm -hmm. Also, um, you know, a lot of the times you put a lot of ice in your screwdriver. This has much better. This is this is the best of both worlds. It has a lot of mouthfeel. Um, but it's not too heavy. Um, it has light, bouncy flavors without the, the hard booze um, taste underneath it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, as a person who likes screwdrivers, next time I'm hungover, I'm coming over here to try that. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. That totally, that's like the hangover drink. Um, and so if you are in really bad shape and you need to get over a hangover just come on over and ask for the oj did it um, <laughs> he'll help you out alex will yeah it's it's almost like a raw juice it's fantastic thank you okay so we're moving on to the pineapple cider correct all right just wanted to since i was corrected there i wanted to make sure i had the the right terminology i, did, I just didn't mean to belittle you i'm sorry oh that's fine I'm so, so that that is the base that for for oj so the fresh pressed juice gets blended into into that specific uh, meat. Oh. 
cider. Okay, so the OJ did it. The base has a lot of pineapple in it, then. All right, well, that's another reason why it tastes so light and tropical, huh? That's true. All right, that was very good. Yeah, that's that kind of blew my socks off last week as well. So this is... Yeah, that shattered all my notions about what I thought mead was when you brought that sample last week. Oh, my. Which one's this again? Pineapple. Pineapple, yeah. You're selling me on the tropics today. That one, to me, tastes... Um... Kind of like white gummy bears. <laughs> uh, not wrong at all. Why not call it white gummy? It's a lot more. It, it's a lot more sophisticated than a gummy bear. Yeah, I, sure. I think it's really light. Um, I could drink that all day. Yeah. And, that, and that's why it's called. It's complicated. <laughs> There's a few people that get different things from it. Um, none of them are bad. Just I was going to pounce a little bit. Different. I was even going to say white wine, but like uh, you know, dry. Mm. That's definitely one. Of, I would say that's a drier style or yeah compared to the oj which is like a variant of that um the that juice ends up having a lot of additional residual sugar so okay. it definitely sweetens it up it adds a lot of acid too um but this by itself um works great uh whether it's semi-sweet a sweeter version of it is uh, it might be a little harder for some people to do unless you just love pineapple juice okay um, but it works really well for blending okay so. I'm and, having way too much fun. Yeah, I, honestly, it's like it's very tropical. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's like mai tais on the beach kind of, kind of Same. flavors. If if that interests you, if you like, if you like a drink with a good umbrella in it, uh, some of these some of these lighter pineapple based ones are, are definitely going to be your speed. And then we're going to be moving on to um a, a little bit darker, deeper one. Uh, this is the blueberry. Tell us about it. It's a blueberry cider. So it's our um. Traditional cider made with, uh, this one was made with USO4, so English ale yeast. Um, that we then <laughs> okay, okay, you used some jargon there that I think everybody's going to enjoy. <laughs> USO4 yes. is a is a, uh, a name of a yeast. Mm-hmm. So exactly what is USO4 yeast? It's an English ale yeast. Okay. So it's going to have a little bit more of a, like a malty backbone. Uh, it burns very clean uh, in terms of... Um, any heat that it produces, it propagates really quickly. So the colony builds fast. It has a low nitrogen requirement, so we don't have to feed it a lot. Um, and it flocculates really well. So it drops out of suspension super quick. Okay, you used 20 words that most people aren't gonna know. <laughs> yeah. But let's get to the, the one that I found that's most important. When we talk about heat um, mm. in alcohol, we are, it's not, it's not temperature hot in terms of like, you know, don't touch that stove. It's alcohol hot, okay? So mm. in the way that you would think that um, my mom always used to say, and we always joke, we always call it Peppa hot. Mm. It's not stove hot, it's Peppa hot. Okay, so That's alcohol- That's very Louisiana. Maybe. I know, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but we joke, we laugh about that all the time, actually. My, if my brother's listening, he's falling out of his chair right now. Anyway, um, but with alcohol, the more boozy, the more alcohol-y it tastes- Phenolic, that, yeah. Oh, oh, see, yeah, there's a fancy word for that. Yeah. That's what we mean by it's more hot. Can you say the word again? Phenolic. 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 So that's when I'm getting you that tattooed on me. Buildups of. I'm gonna use that uh, on my girlfriend. Right. <laughs> of um, like polyphenols, which would be that alcohol-y, like burnish quality that you get, the the boozy quality that you get. Those right. would be phenolics. Um, so as long as you can keep something burning or burning, sorry, um, fermenting at a manageable pace with sufficient amounts of oxygen for propagation so they don't run out of oxygen when they're trying to build their colony they have enough yeast so they don't get um stressed 
and you sorry enough nutrients they don't get stressed so yeast available nitrogen uh, and at a temperature that they're comfortable they should theoretically not produce any what you consider to be an off flavor phenolic is usually going to be an off flavor that's not something that's always desirable at least in something that's lower in alcohol content once you get past a certain level of alcohol content it's kind of unavoidable because it was it's a byproduct of the amount of ethyl that's in your, your drink. Thank you. Um, but if you have something that's seven or eight percent, you really don't want that alcohol quality to it. It, it distracts from what is more than likely going to be very faint and nuanced flavors compared to something that's higher in alcohol, where you need bolder flavors to kind of balance out that that heat that you have. Okay. And since we're technically talking about wine, because mm -hmm. uh, mead is a type of wine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure that winemakers, you know, great winemakers, are thinking about that all the time. They don't want the alcohol taste to obscure all the notes from their aging and all the things that they're trying, the complexities that they're trying to get in the flavor of their wine. That's absolutely right. Um, there's always a fine balance. I mean, whether it's uh, what we were talking about earlier with the um, residual sugar. So is it dry? Is it semi-sweet? Is it sweet? Versus is it... Uh, is the mouthfeel rich or, or light? Is it tannic? Is it acidic? Um, all of those, you have to strike really a fine balance to have something that a person would want to approach again. So. And then, you know, that's why we're talking about uh, aging. I mean, that's something that applies to just about every type of alcohol. You know, if you just have mashed whiskey and you don't put it in a barrel, you're going to taste all that alcohol. Uh, a lot more. So um, tell us about how you, in in terms of mead, how, do you just use a different, do you just use a yeast that has like a lower burn or less heat? Or are you able to, when you barrel age, can you use a different kind of yeast and then get those, get those uh, hot notes out of it? Tell us, tell us about how you, how you think about it. So all really good questions. Uh, the answer is really a little bit of both. Um, if it's going to be something that's less than 10% alcohol, the majority of the time we're going to use a yeast that's more catered to, uh, or usually used for beer. And the reason for that is that... Bye, Eddie. Bye, Eddie. Eddie and I discovered that uh, we have similar taste in music. I think, uh, I think we're going to be going to a show over the summer. It's going to be fun. That sounds like it. Um, Anything less than 10%, the majority of the time we're gonna use uh, an ale yeast just because it's easier to manage. And when you have something that light, I'm not trying to have a yeast strain that's gonna add a bunch of extra character, whether it's ester, whether it's um, you know, any of the natural flavors that the yeast may produce. I just want to taste what we're making. So in this case, it would be you know, the pineapple. I just wanted to taste the pineapple. When we uh, when we first met, you actually told us that one of the uh, the only negative Yelp reviews you guys got was somebody saying that they couldn't taste the booze. Yeah, they <laughs> um, they had a couple interesting comments. Um, the one that struck me as the most odd was actually that one where the synopsis of their uh, I want to say five hundred word review. Oh my god! Was um, <laughs> wow. If you how did they phrase it? If you don't have a babysitter and you like Capri Sun, this is the place for you. And I sat there, I was like, 
That's a genius slogan. Oh, yes, <laughs> I could that, use that. How is that insulting? Um, <laughs> but the review, they also didn't appreciate that there were children here, which were family friendly. Oh, right. They didn't appreciate yeah. that there were a couple dogs here. We're dog friendly. So um, they're just um, unhappy people. I was like, this isn't a speakeasy. <laughs> there's no like low light and fancy drinks. It's like there's stuff that's easy to approach. And, um, you know, you can kind of hang out. Relax. I, I don't know, Alex. Some of these drinks are pretty fancy. Oh my god! Um, this... The Chamoy and the Teen is definitely a step up for us. Uh, <laughs> that being said, in the next couple months, we're getting a slushy machine for the summer. No way! So our strawberry lemonade meat, we're gonna make a slushy. Okay, we would like to name that for you. It needs to be called the Decker Ray. Yes. <laughs> we uh, we might tell you yeah. that story sometime. We went to New Orleans for a for the Saints Rams game over Halloween weekend uh, last uh, last football season. And, the Rams uh, lost, but we still went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, we could talk. This isn't a sports uh, this isn't a sports podcast. We could talk about that for hours. We can fight later. Yeah, we could, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we were down in New Orleans. And I had friends who had not visited New Orleans before in town. So, of course, when you're in New Orleans, you have to get a daiquiri. Daiquiri. I, I don't know it's how it ended up getting pronounced like that, but uh, people got drunk. At any rate, <laughs> we stopped at this place on Veterans in Metairie on the way back from the airport. And uh, it was um, almost autumn. And so uh, we found a place that had eggnog flavored daiquiri, which is um, a very popular flavored daiquiri in uh, the fall and the wintertime uh in new orleans and they had just this stuff tasted like antifreeze i'm surprised none of us went blind it was like burning holes in our tongue so we were joking about it the whole weekend and let me be clear this was like within the first hour of my personal first experience of louisiana so <laughs> i i think i felt at home but also was scared so you know like a Decoray in one hand and like a po' boy in the other. That's, 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 that's pretty that's much. That's yeah. basically that's what we were going for. Some, some cafe du monde. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, let's just call it a shit show. So like it just. Yeah, <laughs> it got pretty crazy. I'm sure you can't order one of those like, at Commander's Palace though. So. Yeah. No, no. But uh, hey, go to Commander's Palace. It's yes. it's excellent. But, yeah. um, so at any rate, uh, if you're making a daiquiri out of some of this stuff. If you if you want to give it a funny name that only two two to four people in the whole world will get, our our group yeah, yeah. Hy hyphenate it and call yeah. it a Dacker Ray Dacker Ray. So we're calling dibs on that unless you think of a really good name. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but we're thr we're thrilled and we'll be back here for the summer to try that, um, and maybe uh, even give you some ideas about what flavors might might work once you freeze them up. This blueberry, for instance. Um, is a really good idea. That would be a really this good is flavor. Delicious, by the way. I, you mm. know, I started juicing this week, mm. and you know, this is so much better than what I've been whipping up. So <laughs> I gotta say, um, but no, it is like a straight. It's like you're biting into. It's just blueberry it's juice. Blueberry pie. I mean, it's, it's, it's it is just got a hint of sweetness. It's not overwhelming. You're doing you're doing some good stuff over here, Alex. I'll tell you that this is this is great. Yeah, I feel like we digressed into story time there, but that's all right. Yeah. We do that occasionally here at the Hollywood Growler. You know, we only got seven samples. <laughs> well, you've only gone through five. So. <laughs> yeah, so actually these last two here. Moving along. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good segue, Alex. Good job. So it comes down to um, the Meadowfoam honey you sampled earlier. And, and just to remind everybody, Meadowfoam, I don't know if everybody else has had this before, but 
I didn't know marshmallow was a naturally occurring thing. It smells just like marshmallow, and it is wonderful. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all. Um, it was... It's a very special honey. It, you know, it's, a, it's like a chef basically saying, like, I have this beautiful ingredient. I want to highlight the ingredient. Mm -hmm. uh, so we decided we're just going to do a traditional mead. Uh, in this case, it would be a Polish style, which is, is one part honey to two parts water, which is a very high ratio. Um, initially, the starting gravity for it was something like 52 bricks. In uh, standard gravity, that'd be something like 175 points. 180 points. That's a lot. Uh, the yeah. yeast did not like that. Um, oh, they were not really? happy. You thought they would have um, jumped all over it. No, at that point, it's a unhospitable environment for them. Okay, okay. There's too much. Um, and the uh, the must is like too viscous for them to really move around. Hmm. Um, so we had to dilute it down to about 40 bricks. Um, so it, it had 40 bricks. No, actually, 40 bricks is 175 points. So there's a like 225 or something like that. There's a solution um, that's too high that the yeast basically can't populate at that point. Correct. Like uh, honey by itself is anywhere between 75 and 80 percent sugar. Right. Um, and because of how much sugar is in there and how it's aerobic, aerobic, it absorbs water. It's, <laughs> it's water. It's water deprived. Sure. Uh, because there isn't any water, bacteria can't grow. So honey will never go bad. And that's why it's through. such a good preservative. Exactly. That's why the Egyptians used it and everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, so once you get to a certain um, viscosity, then it's just, it's not hospitable for many things. Um, so that we had to dilute it down in order to get it to a point where the yeast would actually start to try to eat and build a colony. Uh, and once that started and they ate through you know, X amount, say about 25%, uh, so they ate about 10 bricks worth and 5% alcohol worth. Um, we dumped more honey in. And we wait for them to eat some more and then dump more honey in. And we got to the point where we put honey in it, they just wouldn't eat anymore. Wow. Um, so what what exactly goes wrong? Do they engorge themselves? Or do like, they can't? It becomes an issue of their tolerance for the alcohol around them. Oh, interesting. So this yeast was a wine yeast. We used Uvifirm uh, 43, which is a Rhone wine yeast, as a tolerance of up to 18% alcohol. Uh, we found that this one stopped right around 17, 17.3, something like that. Okay. Uh, but when you have something that high, you have a lot of, of, uh, of heat, you know, that phenolic quality, and that's not an, an element of uh, flaw during fermentation or anything like that. It's just, it's part of the makeup of the drink. Almost 20% of that, that liquid is is alcohol. And that's why, you know, beyond a certain amount of alcohol, you have to do distillery, right? Correct. If you want, if you want, you know, 80 proof. And do you know what that number is? Uh, you uh, take the percentage and you multiply by two, right? Well, that'll be proof, but do you know what the percentage is that we're allowed to make up to here? Oh, no, I did actually, that's kind of where I was going, where I, that threshold I'm, I'm is. I'm gonna guess 21. Higher. Really? Yes. Yeah. So we can make up to 24%. That was close. Yeah. So that would be 48% proof? It yeah. kind of just would or be 40 ironic because 21, you know, illegal drinking. Um, the highest we've made uh, natural fermentation without doing any type of like freeze distillation or anything like that um, was 20.3. That's 
pretty uh, damn high. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's what it fermented out to. That ended up getting blended down. Sure. Uh, because that's that's a little tough by itself. Yeah. Um, especially young. Over time, it'll mellow out a little bit. But young, it was it was tough. Actually, that's a question. Um, you can you age mead, and how long could you age it for? It's a really good question. Uh, it, it's the you look at it the same as you would any type of wine. Okay. Um, it comes down to the if it was stabilized and how it was sealed. Um, our normal bottles that we have, the cork on them is good for about three years before any type of oxidation will occur. Uh, our barrel aged bottles, we use a cork that's good for about five years. Uh, and that'll continue to age gracefully over time. Um, we don't do a um, nominal uh, filtration on it where we would strip all of the yeast out. Mm. So when we do bottling, we'll do maybe uh, as low as like one micron. So it's still polished, but there's still some, some yeast left in there. And over time, that will continue to develop. So uh, other than the, the yeast um, that's left in, which you normally would not get with wine, right? Um, what are the benefits if you were to age a mead uh, to the flavor? What, what happens? It would be similar to, to grape. Like a lot, of, a lot of the bottles that we release from here are between three and four months old uh, when they're made available to the public. Most of the time, I found that they really hit their um, best like drinkability at a year, year and a half. Kind of like white wine. It's basically the same time frame. It just takes some time to kind of come together. Um, does it drink fine when it's sold? Yes, it actually I, I, it drinks absolutely fine. I wouldn't sell it if it did. Do I prefer to have something that's maybe a year older? Depends on which one, but pro probably just because it, over time things do tend to come together. Well, I, I'm definitely curious about that. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you did, especially something that wasn't back sweetened very much, mm -hmm. something that was dry to begin with, mm -hmm. um, I think if you aged that, it would some of the flavors and would mellow, and other flavors would blossom. I, I think that would be fantastic. I think if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, if you're back sweetening it a whole bunch anyway. Um, and the, the big note is a sweeter note, is that going to mellow out um, more uh, in a year of aging, or is that going to be pretty much the same? The sugar usually won't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but other characteristics of the honey uh, may either fade or get enhanced. It's, okay. If you're adding raw honey back, then that will usually tend to having the bouquet stick around a little bit longer. You might get it like a little more clover, a little more metafoam, or a little more of whatever type of honey you're using. Exactly. During primary fermentation, a lot of the nose, especially on something that's fruited, um, gets kind of knocked out by virtue of uh, fermentation. So as CO2 is being released and nitrogen is being released, all of those aromas, not all, but most of those aromas are also being pushed out. So it's mm. very similar to like if you've ever smelled your airlock at home with something that you fruited, it smells like the fruit. Right. Um, well, that's you're not going to get that put back into it. Mm -hmm. Some of that's getting released. So it's getting weakened over time. Um, and it's kind of one of the debates we have about using fruit in the primary fermentation versus post-fermentation and secondary and let it sit on fruit. Uh, and then the type of fruit you're using. So using 
blueberry juice versus whole blueberries versus dehydrated blueberries will all do something completely different. Um, and when you use all three of them, that's when it really gets interesting. Hmm. Well, we've drank, I don't know, maybe a pint a piece, if, if that, and I don't feel full no. like, like I might from a beer, and I've got a pretty good buzz right above my nose. I feel ready for the day. But yeah. um, I, <laughs> I hate to do this, but we are running out of time. If you maybe just want to say the names of these last two again, and we, we can well, sip them real this fast. One, one of these was barrel-aged, and one of them's not, yeah, one so of I think we can get that done. Yeah, yeah. that one should be the, the barrel-aged one. So. Uh, so this was a mead made with that meadow foam honey. Um, oh, the amount, my new favorite word, by the way. <laughs> the amount that we couldn't fit into the barrel was a little over five gallons. So instead of dumping that, we put it into a carboy and threw it in the walk-in. The rest went into a rye whiskey barrel. Mm. And oh, that's going to sit there for, i say, no less than four months. Um, going in, it's about 16%. We'll how, see how much how it pulls out. That, uh, how long is that sat in the rye whiskey barrel? Two weeks. Just two weeks? Yeah. This is two weeks in. It's still very young. You get a lot of like green wood out of it. You can um, see a little difference in the color already. It's yeah. um, it's uh, the yellow is getting bolder. Yeah. Well, the um, the barrels we got from Few Spirits in Illinois, um, they were actually dumped three days before they were sent to us. Um, Interesting. The wettest barrels tell, I have tell ever us what seen. What that means? I, I I'm guessing people can figure that out, but let's uh, let's talk about that for a minute. So the harvested the barrels so to speak <laughs> the friday before they they emptied them right and, and it was rye the, we have both rye and bourbon that we got but oh, this one specifically is rye uh they dumped it put a cap on it the next tuesday was on a pallet on its way here uh we got it the following monday so it was about 10 days from when they uh they emptied the barrel to when it got filled with the meadow foam uh, we got those barrels they were sitting on their heads uh, on the pallet, we laid them down for a day and went to inspect them. Every one of the barrels we got, we could see our reflection at the bottom. So that's always a good sign. That, that, that completely yeah. answered my next question. You said it was the wettest barrels you've ever seen. I was yeah, going to say, yeah, they when didn't you them off or nothing. Yeah, no, like, there was one barrel where uh, it wasn't just that you could see reflection. Um, it went all the way to each each end of the barrel. It wasn't just a small puddle should on like have, two or three states. Should have dumped out a little bit more, see if you could get a, get a glass of rye. I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> we may or may not have some coffee filters here just for such occasion. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that barrel got filled immediately. Uh, and with the one barrel tanks we have, they have about 20% headspace. We filled that thing to the top just to make sure that any loss we had, whether it was during racking, circulating, anything like that, we were still going to have the 30 30 gallons left uh we ended up having like 35 gallons so wow this weekend we'll put on the meadow foam uh non-barrel age that uh, i gave you guys and hopefully late summer we'll have the rye barrel age left hey mr pat from next door how are you, hey, pat. you guys, uh, we are doing a little podcast you left okay. blueberry yeah. sure Okay. <laughs> well, actually, uh, that's a that's a good uh, re uh, moment right there because we are actually way over time here today. Um, I just want to say thank you again, Alex. Uh, Alex Gonzalez from Honeypot Meadery in Anaheim, California. 
Dan Kern. We are we are right next door to All American Brew Works. You should definitely come visit. Um, I did not know what to expect today. I don't think Connor knew what to expect. I, I will be back here. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so different. Um, and if you like alcoholic drinks and you're looking for something new because you feel like you've tasted it all, you feel like there's no no worlds left to conquer. Come try some mead here at the Meadery. It will definitely give you a different experience, and um, you will leave smiling. I'm I'm gonna have a very a very nice afternoon. It's definitely. I mean, that's coming from some guys who have traveled all the way to Louisiana to drink. So <laughs> um, we thought we've had it all, and uh, it's just amazing. So thank you again, Alex. Um, but uh, this is the Hollywood Growler, and uh, we will see you next week. We'll see you next time. This was episode three. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you for hanging out with us for another episode of the Hollywood Growler. We really want to thank Alex Gonzalez and the Honeypot Meadery. We had a fantastic time drinking with him. Uh, I might have had too good of a time. I, I actually got pretty drunk. Oh, don't tell them that. Well, don't tell them about our fun. <laughs> it's true. It's what happened. Uh, um, all of that stuff really went to my head. I guess. Uh, I guess I'm not used to wine. Um, but it was, uh, it was fantastic. And, uh, I really do recommend going down there. Um, you're going to find something new and different, uh, that you've never had before. I'm sure, I'm sure Connor agrees. Yeah. Alex was so accommodating and so informative. And I think his real, uh, treasure is just wanting people to learn. So you're definitely going to get that experience if you walk on into Honeypot Meadery. That's, that's the best way to put it. Uh, we learned, we learned so much. Please tune in for episode four. Speaking of learning a lot, uh, we just uh, recorded today with Will D, uh, who is the owner operator of Chapman Crafted Beers and Haven and Provisions down in Orange. And uh, honestly, we learned so much from this episode um, beyond just brewing, uh, beyond just beer. Uh, he talked about business. He talked about um, people. He talked about balancing um the man is the king of orange he really is right now he talked about balancing uh hands-on and hands-off uh ownership and letting people do do what they needed to do i i promise you you're going to get some insight that you never got before so we hope you listen uh and we'll see you soon thanks thank you guys see you next time